You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org. All right, well, let me begin by maybe sharing a couple of things that's happened throughout the week. Um, Some of you guys know I was over uh, in San Diego at a beautiful place called Point Loma. And uh, if you ever want to go back to school, <laughs> it's so nice that it's worth going back to university for undergrad, for it, if you want to. Or, you know, grad school, um, for nursing um, school, it's well known. And, but it's really a beautiful place. It, uh, it tempts me to uh, end up there one of these days. Uh, but um, the, the reason I was there for was doing a training called for churches planting churches. And we'll talk more about that as we progress, but... Basically, the core of it is the best way to reach out to new people is by planting churches. And that's what LifeLight was all about. LifeLight was planted and started because we wanted to reach out to people. And most, some of you um, were our result of that. Uh, and best way to plant church is by churches planting churches, which means church multiplies by you know, planting another church instead of having somebody... You know, a, a white knight from somewhere in like in Nebraska come to San Francisco saying, "I'm going to save this city," and uh, and you know, going about it. It's really the best way to do it is churches planting on other churches in the area where there is indigenous leaders to lead the group. Um, so we'll share more about that. Uh, we are, you know, we're a small church, but we don't want to end up in where we are. We don't want to be content with where we are. But we want to be a church that's multiplying. And really the best way uh, to grow and to have a bit larger impact in San Francisco because of limited resources of places and location, money and all of that, is to really multiply in smaller groups and multiply. So some of you guys complain about us being out in the sunset and we need to be in Mission or somewhere that's easier to commute or get to. And, you know, the hope is that we'll multiply and maybe we'll have another church in mission uh, where you guys, some of you guys will grow and lead that group and uh, we'll have uh, someone who, to, who either there to teach or be satellite. So there are, there's a dream, there's a hope, and, but we know there is a burden and there's a mandate that Jesus calls us to grow and to multiply. So that's what it was about. Um, my part in it was that I became a certified trainer and I can show you downstairs on my certification. I'm going to frame it and hang it up on the wall. I'm not going to do that, but um, that's what it was. So I am a certified trainer to train pastors on how to how to equip their churches to plant on other churches. So uh, I will be part of a team in the city um, doing, doing training and, and seminars and conferences in the city uh, running that for a group called DCPI. That's a uh, I think it's called Dynamic Church Planting International, and it's one of the largest groups leading this. And they have uh, they have a, a goal of planting five million churches in uh, next ten years, and I think they have already planted about two point five million churches around the world um, by their training and you know sending out the pastors. So, um, so that's where I was, uh, and I got to meet some of your uh, your friends Samuel and Stephanie, and they're doing well, and they hope to. Come and visit LifeLight uh, sometime in the fall so we can be prayerful about the whole visa process for Stephanie and for them to join us um, sometime and visit us in the future. Another thing that's happened for some of our you know, friends is passion. 
I don't know, some of you guys have been keeping track on Instagram and, you know, they're pretty excited and uh, it's, I was there a few times, I've been there a few times and it's really an event that I want, I hope that all of you would get to experience one day and I think we, our dreams and our vision gets just kind of minimized and compacted because we sit in a smaller room with a few people and we see a larger, a greater glory and you know, work of God when you sit in a dorm of 30,000 college young people praising God. And that's kind of, the, that's the experience. So, you know, I don't think it's so much of the speakers or great musicians like David Crowder and, and all the lighting and all that stuff. I mean, that's all great, but it's just that awe and the sense you get when you sit in a place where hearts are all together by 30,000 people. And that's almost impossible to uh, experience in a city like San Francisco. And uh, it's really actually worth traveling out and seeing it and experiencing it. And Botch has done it in kind of smaller scale, but still um, pretty much the same. Yeah. So uh, we can't wait to hear from our friends how, how everything went. And they seem to be completely, totally um, amazed and uh, impacted by it. So we'll hear from them next Sunday. Okay, so, well, we have a smaller group. I almost miss, like, we were sitting here with just three of us, four of us at the beginning. Um, but I almost thought, oh, I miss kind of this smaller setting because, you know, we looked at, well, who's going to pray? There's only three of us. <laughs> who's going to read? There's only three of us. Somebody's got to, right? Uh, so, we have a little smaller group uh, this Sunday, and uh, I think there's an advantage of it, uh, you know, the ways that we can actually enjoy it. You know that our church is small, and some people prefer a smaller church. But I believe in the model of church that's, you know, the you know church um, talk. It's called hybrid church, where there is the advantage of smaller church like us is what more personal, more community, more personal, yeah. more personal. intimacy, personal relationship building. Smaller, it's great to do it. So some people tend to lean toward the smaller church, but advantage of large church is what. Resources. Resources and impact. It can impact the you know, community in a greater way. And so we want to be both. We want to be church that has that, that intimacy and relationship building, yet at the same time that can grow and be impactful in the, in the community. And one of the ways, or the best way to do it is by multiplication. So, okay, let me uh, pray and we'll dive in. I know there's an important event going on at 12 o'clock today. Uh, yeah. Okay, let me pray and we read uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Jesus, we thank you for your teaching and uh, hold us. We pray that you help us to receive it as an amazing gift from you. That we are people who are forgetful. We are people who are have tendency to look at ourselves and wanting to present ourselves. And I pray that you are God who convicts us through your word. That we are able to look outward. We are able to seek you more than our own glory. And in your by your word... Um, you will mold us and equip us as that we're supposed to be. Pray that you give us um, minds to understand and hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 13, verse 10 to 21. I'll read one verse and you can read the next. As we kind of talked about last week, we're kind of starting, we kind of finished the one section and just kind of brand new, more fresh, in a way. Um, but it has to deal with uh, some of the stories that we kind of dealt with earlier. Verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared in the room of the Spirit that 
has been her for 18 years. She has been over and is quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and to be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his socks or his arms? You know, not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on this Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed into the garden, into where it became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests and branches. And again he said, to what should I compare the kingdom of God? The word of the Lord. Well, do you remember when we talked about uh, the work on Sabbath and Jesus dealing with religious people on Sabbath? And some of you guys remember how we talked about the, the you know, the funny parts about funny, you know, things about Sabbath, like Sabbath goy and uh, Shabbat goy and all the rules and laws and how ridiculous it is. And so we're kind of visiting that again, this story. And there's a twist here. So let's look at the story about this crippled woman. We see that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. So this is sort of like a road trip. Uh, and what we're going to face, what we're going to encounter from this point on is stuff that happens on the road trip. And fun things happen on the road trip. When I was driving down to San Diego, I was sitting in a car with large, old, white men who would not stop talking. Um, and next to him was a, you know, older Indian gentleman who would just patiently listen. And, uh, and next to me was large Hispanic older gentleman who would stop, who wouldn't stop snoring. As we were. So that's who I was in the car and I was just, all right, on my iPod, just ignoring and listening like a teenage kid. Cause you know, that's what I felt like to, uh, to all the older, older gentlemen and the white man did not stop talking on the way back here either. Non-stop. So, you know, fun things happen when you're on a, you know, when you're on a road trip. Um, But, so that's what Jesus is. Jesus is on a road trip. He's traveling. He's he's going down with his disciples and things are happening. This is one of the instances. So Jesus goes into synagogue to teach. So he's going to church to teach. And it was tradition that if you are known teacher, that you're a visiting teacher, that you would actually go and teach in the synagogue. In a, Probably a fairly small town. So he's teaching and he sees a woman. And this woman, probably in the way back, because uh, she probably do not wanna, doesn't want to draw attention and she's bent. She cannot stand straight. So I feel like this sometimes when I get up. Um, it's, you're bent and you can't get up. So you're sort of in the 90 degree angle walking. And I've seen men like that, older men who's worked and labored so hard they can't really stand up straight. The person who did um, the bathroom in my house, he did uh, he did uh, tiles, 
my bathroom. And a great guy, he gets this great job. I guess he's done tiling for so long, and he looked to be in like upper uh, late fifties. He can't get up straight. He's close to like bent in like um, sixty degree angle, and that's how it works. But you know the tradition is that the belief is that if you are somehow your body's if you're sick and you're crippled and there is something wrong with you, you've done something sinful that you are cursed by God. So you can tell this woman is staying way back, just kind of listening in but not wanting to draw attention. So Jesus sees her and he um he, and he talks to her, to this crippled woman who's sick. And he says, the scripture says, she, the woman is the way she is because of spiritual reason, because she is possessed by demon. And there are two types of sickness, I believe, and maybe you have encountered, encountered this in your life, is that one of them is just pure physical sickness. There's something's wrong with you, and what you need is doctors. Some people get confused by this. There's physical sickness, that's purely physical, there's sickness that's had more to do with spiritual, that you can tell doctors cannot figure out what is wrong with you, right? What is wrong with this person? There's no clear way to say there's a medical um, solution to this sickness. My brother, uh, Sam, older brother, ever since he was little, he had this sickness. There's no words to it. There's no, uh, he would just be off. He would just go, he would just go, and he just lose himself, no memory of what would happen in the next five seconds. And he oftentimes he just drift into the traffic. And this is Korea, so there's a lot of cars going by. He just go, and he just start walking towards just whatever. And it's five seconds. He has no memory of what happened. Sometimes it's like ten seconds. And we're like grab him, we drag him back to the street. He had this for almost like seventeen years. No cure, no reason. There's no cause to any of this and he just developed it when he was maybe five or six according to my, my you know parents and he had it they prayed over it nothing no explanation and one day it just kind of went away so there are sickness that you don't know with the cause for medical cause um cause for and you can't treat it medically but there are you know sickness that you can definitely be cured so you can't confuse that. There are Christian, Orthodox Christians that think that you can, they can cure anything and everything by prayer and ignore that there are sickness that needs to be dealt with, you know, with by doctors and by medicines, right? So this woman in particular has a sickness that doctors don't know what's wrong with her. And Luke is a doctor. So he knows about this situation. He knows that woman, no one can figure out what's, what's wrong with this woman. And she's been like that for a long time, for 18 years. And she's been going through chronic pain for 18 years. You can't get up straight. You can't barely walk. Uh, some of you guys know Kelly McConnell. Um, has anyone heard about her story and her physical pain? She uh, grew up with this pain. She was born with it. Up until she was like 12 years old, she thought that's how life was. That you have this pain, this Terrible pain, but ah, I guess everyone has this. I just have to deal with it. And her parents were very ignorant, and they, they weren't very good parents then. So they kind of ignored her. Oh, just, you know, don't think about it. You're okay. So she lived this chronic pain for 12 years of her life. And finally, doctors figured out, this isn't normal. You shouldn't have this pain every day, 
And that's what she grew up with. She had this pain that no one could figure out and no one would recognize it, and she just had it and she lived with it. It's painful, and that's what this woman had, chronic pain. And Jesus sees her and speaks to her. So you can kind of picture Jesus sitting here, and there's a crowd, probably as many as you guys here, and the lady is probably hanging out in the back, and Jesus sees her and looks at her, right, eyes met, and maybe he smiles, and he calls her, why don't you come to the front, why don't you come here? And you can see everybody, like when someone walks in late, everybody like turns, right? Um, the grand entry. <laughs> um, everybody turns. So the whole attention is on this woman. And Jesus tells her, why don't you come to the front? And I'm sure that if you were her, that she's going, I don't want to. Everyone's going to look at me. I'm going to take a chance by walking up and revealing myself to everyone. She said, take a chance with me. Why don't you come to the front? So he, Jesus calls her out. And when she comes, he lays his hand on her, is what the scripture says. And really the meaning of that, the translation is that Jesus embraced her. So you can tell, the woman walks, this woman who's ashamed, who's in terrible pain, Jesus calls her to come, and Jesus hugs her, embraces her, and says, you are set free. And immediately the pain goes away. She rejoices and she jumps. And that's Jesus. And maybe none of us are have that kind of illness and sickness. And But there are times in our lives where we are ashamed. We don't want to go move toward Jesus. And He calls us. And He calls us to take chance with Him. And He embraces us. He hugs us. And He says, you are free. You are free from whatever the sickness, whatever is holding you back. The way that devil has got a hold of you, you are free. And there's a different side of that, right? The flip side of that is the religious people. The people in the synagogue calls out. They talk about how, you know, you can't supposed to, you cannot do work, work of healing on Sabbath. And it's pretty funny if you look at it. Up until this time, you recognize that they would talk to Jesus, like, what are you doing? You can't do this work on Sabbath. And it's different here. They've kind of given up on Jesus. They don't talk to Jesus. What do they do? They get up, they turn to the crowd, and they say to the crowd, this is Sabbath day. You have six days to come with your sickness to Jesus. That's pretty much what they're saying, right? Come with your sickness to be healed on different days, but not on Sabbath, which is, which is pretty funny. Try not to get healed on Sabbath. Right? And to this woman, to people who are suffering. So, it's pretty funny. They, they're giving up on Jesus. They won't talk to Jesus because they know what Jesus will say. And they are speaking out. They are rebuking the crowd for coming with their sickness to get healed. Um, and in a way, you can see they're abusing their power. They know that they are in a higher position. They can rebuke those who are less than them, under them. They're abusing their power. So, how does Jesus respond? We've seen this and we've heard this many times. Hypocrites, causing hypocrites, and it talks about how it is lawful, how it is okay for the people to untie the ox so that they can be free to you know, drink of water. You can do that. So this is Jesus having really a skillful analogy of this woman is tied by demon. You untie the ox that are tied to be free to, uh, to take what, what's needed. Why can't this woman who is bound by demon 
to be healed on this Sabbath. That's how Jesus responds, calling them hypocrites. And then he moves on to say about, and he says this, what is the kingdom of God like? So there's this event of healing and all of a sudden Jesus is talking about mustard seed and different things, which is a little bizarre. So let's look at this, how Jesus is making this connection. He says, what is the kingdom of God like? To what shall I compare? And Jesus compares the kingdom of God to mustard seed and leaven, right? Yeast. So have you guys ever seen, has anyone ever seen a mustard seed? Yeah? Here's what mustard seed look like. If I pick this out, if I put like a tiny little dot, that's mustard seed. Like you can't you cannot see if I put a little dot on this because you're in a distance. It's tiny. It's tiny. It's uh I had it my dad went to Israel um, when I was like sixteen and one of the gifts that he brought stuff that he brought and he made a whole church gift to everybody was a book bookmark with mustard seed in it, and it, it is tiny. Mm, nice. Yeah, and uh, he handed it out to everyone. Maybe we can do that when we go to Israel and come back. I mean, you can get thousands in a little tiny jar. It's tiny. So he compares to mustard seed, but the thing with the mustard seed is you plant it, and then it grows to up to 10, 12 feet high tree. From little tiny thing to large tree, where it says in our text today, where birds come and nest. It's big enough to provide for the birds. And you know about yeast, um, or leaven, what does it do? It spreads rice. Huh? It makes the bread rise. It makes the bread and it expands bread. And if you ever want to see that, how that's done, go to Krispy Kreme. You can, there's a little, <laughs> you know, side that Hannah, Hannah loves to just stand there and watch where the bread goes and it, you know, gets cooked, baked, and then it, you know, it takes uh, yeast, leaven to make grow uh, the bread grow and uh, double multiply right get greater in sizes so jesus said think of these these two things are what the kingdom of god is like so what does that mean both are small right both are small and seemingly insignificant but what what happens to it it grows the both grows and in the case of uh mustard seed it grows in sizes in cases in case of yeast, what happens? It transforms something that's smaller to something that's completely different uh, and in different form. It shapes to something different. So that's what Jesus says. These, this is what kingdom of God is like. And connecting it to the woman, what Jesus did to this woman, he healed a woman in a small, tiny little town. How significant is that? It's not very significant in anyone's eyes. Okay, a lady got healed. No big deal. But what Jesus is saying is, a single act is the beginning of God's reign and it's the end of reign of demon. God is entering and demon is exiting out. That's what Jesus is saying. There's a little things you do will grow big in the kingdom of God. And you can look at that in, in, you know, in examples of Jesus' life. You look at Jesus' life, this little you know, boy born in a manger, just ordinary parents, starving, poor, growing in an insignificant town, and crucified and died and resurrected, and he has changed the world. That was Jesus. What he has done, the way he was a little boy, he was insignificant. He was tiny. He was small. But Jesus grew to change the world. 
And you look at the church, the Christian church. I think after Luke, we're going to go through the uh, Acts of uh, Apostles. Because it's continuing, same author, continuing story. But you can look at Acts. How many people started a church? The scholars estimate and calculate people in Jerusalem and people in everybody. It's maybe no more than 120 people. 120 people 2,000 years ago started a church. Christian church. And you know what happened. It's, it's church changed the world. Right? Millions and millions of people. And you look, also look at your faith. Where your faith was, say five years ago. For some of you, it was non-existent. For some of you, it was small. You did little things. You barely believed. And your faith grows. So what Jesus is saying is, Kingdom of God is where small things, insignificant things, will grow, grow large, and transform. But that's not how we think, right? That's not how we think. This is a simple lesson, but it reminds us to look at ourselves. To the people, what does, one, what does the people that Jesus is talking to, what do they want from Jesus? They want something big. They want something huge. They want immediate change. They want him to just immediately transform the whole country and the world right then. They want something huge. Us, in your life, when you seek God out to do something, you want God to do something great, something huge. Something large that everyone can see. And it's, you cannot miss. And you know, that's, that's us. We want God to make me great. I want to be great. I want to be known. I want to do great things. I don't want to do these small things and insignificant things, right? I don't want to go to this little church. I want to go to a large church that I can put an impact. I want to do good things like go to a huge, go to Africa, um, do amazing things, um, change the society, change the world, start a revival. I want to do awesome big things. But that's not how kingdom of God is. So we misunderstand what a kingdom of God is in our lives. And this is just like, you know, again, a great movie called Evan Almighty. Um, the whole lesson at the end of the movie was what? The Moses, or the, not, the, not the Moses, but the, the character was building what? An ark, right? And uh, he said, ark is act, act of random kindness. Start small. Start by little things. Then, you know, God uses small church. Like us, but we're not so small. We are, you know, let me talk about Church of Nazareth because these are things that we were going through. And Church of Nazareth is, we are the sixth largest denomination in the world. Um, there are a lot larger denominations, but we're not the smallest. We are in fairly large sizes. And we are actually the only denomination that is growing in the world. So think about that. And Church of Nazareth had uh, 10,000 churches. In the last 100 years, from the beginning they were started, for 100 years, had 10,000 churches around the world. In past, within less than 20 years, there are now more than 26,000 churches in uh, Church of Nazareth around the world. We are a church that's growing. And uh, we, as a church, as a lifeline, we can also be a church that grows, like I talked about, a church that multiplies. So, God takes little things and grows and that's what the kingdom of God is like and I want you to reflect on your faith. What do you do that is little 
that you can act on it and hope and trust God that God will do great things. And sometimes we overlook like one little prayer. How is my faith going to grow by praying in the morning? This one little prayer. How is my faith going to grow by me just flipping a Bible open and looking through a passage today? How am I going to impact the society and those that I love by just smiling and being kind? For that just small insignificant act of kindness. I think we're going to talk more about this as we talk about it. We talked about planning versus preparing and preparing. And preparing has a lot to do with being faithful to small things. We want to be people who dream big because we have God who is big. But we want to be people who do little things, small things, who are faithful to small things. As we prepare for big things, we want we need to be faithful and obedient to small things. And small things are like taking out a garbage, go getting cups for people here, um, telling how you know awesome somebody looks in the morning, to people your brother or your sister that you don't want to say that to, or saying thank you to your parents, saying thank you to your brothers and sisters, um, helping somebody on the street. Helping someone in classes, helping someone at work, just being patient with someone starts by little things. And you know, it's it's you know things that uh, you guys obviously know and remember. And but it's the little things and obvious things we need to be reminded of and realize this is how God works in us. This is how God works. Saying hi to Hannah, being smiling to Hannah, little things, you know. Um, embracing somebody when someone walks in, asking how, how that person is doing, little things that matters. And this is how God works. The instructor that um, was teaching me uh, was leading the training, and he's really a large guy. He's probably like 400 pounds. He's a large guy. He says, I want to be a fat Christian. And that was funny because he's a fat guy. But he, um, he, he said, fat as in, he loves acronyms. He, he loves acronyms. He, he has several of them. He always share it. I said, ah, oh, jeez, I hate that, you know, little acronyms that Christians have. He said, fat as in faithful. <laughs> um, faithful, available, teachable. He said, that's what I want to be. And I have an acronym for today's uh, text. And that's first... It's HFT. makes no sense. <laughs> um, HFT. Um, humility. In the way that we understand how God works, we need humility because so many times we're going to come around and say, it's about me. I want to be big. I want to be recognized. I want to do good things so people will look at me. So first thing we need is humility. That it's not going to be about me. Is, people gonna, is anyone going to recognize that I just did this? It's the people who do insignificant things that no one looks at, no one remembers, no one notices that matters. And I really believe that if someone noticed you, that you have lost that treasure, part of the treasure in heaven that you're going to store. And that's what Jesus says, and we're going to go through that. that. When no one noticed, you have stored treasure in heaven. The little things that no one recognizes. No one says anything, no one's grateful, no one says thank you, but that's what matters and starts with humility. F. Faithfulness. Just being faithful. You know, I don't want to do this. I'm sacrificing. 
But I know that this is what God calls me to do, and this is what it means to be followed of Jesus. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do it even when it costs sacrifice. And if I happen to learn anything in the past few years, God only works through your sacrifices. You don't sacrifice, there's no result. Only works through sacrifices. And I know when I look at the life flight and the young life, when I sacrificed, things happened. People grew, people came to faith, but when I held back, nothing happens. Being faithful, the last B of HFT, is trusting that God will do great things. That this seems significant, but this is going to matter. I trust God with the big things. And you know, I hate some of the you know, sermons I hear about people making things up out of you know, the meaning that sermon that's really not there. And one of the sermons that I heard was people talk about you know, the uh, two loaves of, two fish or five bread or five loaves of five bread and two fish. You know, the feeding of 5,000. You know the story. And... Uh, <clears throat> The person, you know, the preacher would say, you know, think of it as like, a, you know, modern day, you brought your lunch. You have a sandwich and you have like a potato chip, bag of potato chips. And think of what God can do for you to, with your potato chip, bag of potato chips or Pringles or whatever, sandwiches. And they make that up and say, you know, God can do great things with just little things you got. And, you know, you look at it and that part of that story, even though that wasn't the, hugely the focus of it, it's true. The boy's little lunch is significant. But it's written in a story that is read and shared 2,000 years later by millions of people. What that boy offered to see his tiny little lunch. And we look at today's, you know, like the reading today, story of um, Jesus meeting Peter. Who brought Peter? Andrew. Peter is there. Peter exists. Peter became Cephas and, you know, Simon Peter and the rock of the church and, and the leader of the church doing great things because there was Andrew. All he did was just brought Peter to Jesus. Not that significant when you look at it. To people who, um, you know, Young Life is great. And we you look at Jim Rabin and say, oh, he started Young Life. But you know, some of you guys know the story. you know who started Young Life? It's four ladies who, for five years before Jim Raven came, you know, prayed for the school. Met every day, and four older ladies, they prayed that someone, God would send someone to the school so that they can be reached out. Those are the ladies who just prayed. They made amazing things happen like Young Life. When you look at Jim Raven, who shaped him? And uh, there's a story of this lady, old lady, who led Sunday school, who taught the little kids. And she loved taking kids to camping. That's why we have Young Life Camp. All she did was taught a few little kids, Sunday school, led them to Christ. And two of the people, one of them became the founder of one of the most uh, largest discipleship program in the world. The other one was Jim Raven who ended up loving camping. And that's why we have Young Life Camps, because a lady. Does anyone know her? No. All she's done is just being faithful, humble, and trusting God with great things. So, I think all in all, when we look at what we do here in this room, in our own lives, it's small. It's insignificant. 
But it's when we are humble and faithful and trust God that we become a part of this great kingdom. And that's how God works. That's how God works. And I pray that all of us will be faithful to little things and trust that God will do great things. And I trust God will do great things. One of you will become, you know, or some of you or many of you may become Someone who does, who impacts the society, change the society and lead many to Christ. Who knows? But it's done by little things we've done. And it's the way that turns out because God is great and God is big. Let me pray. And, um, and Ken's going to lead us into um, breaking the bread and uh, sharing the cup. <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> that's, what, that's what you told me? Okay. Yes. Cool. Jesus, we... We repent that um, we like to be recognized. And we want to do big things but not small things. And uh, we don't trust that you do much with our lives and with the little things we do. And we uh, pray that you would reshape our hearts where we are faithful and we are grateful. We are excited about doing little things because that's how you work. So we pray that you will shape us to be a true followers of Jesus who do little things, trusting that you do great things in us, through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.